I'm going to drop you right in the scene. You're at the Harvard-Yale football game. The most intense rivalry in the Ivy League. And this is the most highly anticipated sporting event in the Ivy League. And it's so entrenched in the culture of the students at Harvard and Yale that they simply refer to it as the game. So, needless to say, you're excited. Because whoever wins this game gets bragging rights for the rest of the year. And as any college sports fan knows... That means a lot. The stadium is packed. Tens of thousands of people flock to the Yale Bowl to watch. And after a riveting first half, the Yale Marching Band performs their halftime show. And after they're done, you're so ready to see the rest of the game. Who's gonna win? But wait. Students start to run towards the football field from the stands. And there's a lot of them storming the field. And they've got banners. Wait, what do the banners say? They they unfurl them and they read... Nobody wins. Yale and Harvard are complicit in climate injustice. Wait, what? Okay, halftime is nearly over, and they're still not getting off the field. But hundreds of more spectators from the crowd start to join them on the field, and chants of fossil fuels have to go are echoing all around you. The start of the second half ends up being delayed by an hour and 42 student protesters are issued citations by New Haven police officers. This protest got the attention from all the major outlets, New York Times, The Washington Post, NPR. And it's important to note that like, while we have this moment in time, all the students on the field fighting for what they believe in, a divestment movement is not about just that moment. It's about everything that went into that moment before. It's about the planning components of the actual event the coalition building between groups, the working with and working against administration. All of these are parts of divestment that encapsulate the power of divestment organizing. You are listening to Operation Climate, a show by young people for young people, where we break down climate issues and talk about how young people and students can take action in the climate movement. Hello, listeners. My name is Catherine. And I'm Rishabh. And uh, what are we talking about today? We gave you a sort of brief overview, but Rishabh, can you let our listeners know what what exactly are we going to try and answer today? Yeah, of course. So hopefully if you listen to the last few episodes, you have a better idea of what divestment is, maybe how it's working at Duke University. But this episode is all about, for all of those future organizers there, how do you run a campaign? How do you actually have success with something so difficult to achieve, that is, divestment? Just a little experience. Um, So I got to research some things over the summer, talk to a bunch of people, and I learned that when you're talking about divestment, people are the best resource you have. People have been through this. The Harvard organizers, the Yale organizers, all the successes and failures that have led up to this moment, they are here to support you. And before you do anything, realize that there is a community of support for divestment organizers. Organizations like 350.org, DivestEd, and the Climate College Coalition all have experienced organizers with the answers to most of your questions. Reach out to them if you're struggling, and we'll definitely drop links in the episode description. So this episode is sort of a DIY step-by-step, so we're going to break it down for you with our Operation Climate Divestment expert, Rishabh. So, ah, divestment, there's a lot to talk about. It's such a big topic. So where do we start? What is step one? Like any good campaign, 
you have to start with research. Yeah, I know it's not the fun part, but organizers have to understand the basics of their schools, financials and politics before they start with a lot of more fun stuff. Right. And to guide your research process, here are some questions that you should try to answer. Number one, what is the structure of your school's endowment? Okay, so this is really important. An endowment is the pool of money that universities and institutions have to invest in certain stocks and other asset classes. Think real estate, think mutual funds, all the things that make money by just putting it in things, and then you get more money. So when you're talking about divestment, you have to figure out how much of that endowment is invested in fossil fuels. Question number two, what are the current policies and practices for managing university investments? So colleges always have policies for how they want to invest their money. Their primary consideration is something called fiduciary duty, which pretty much means they have to earn money so that they can provide for the university, fund the school, do all the good stuff. However, there's important components that more universities are including now, which is how the investors want to act in the world. Does the college want to invest, quote, responsibly, quote, ethically? These are the financial jargons that they use to represent the investments and fossil fuels and also things that strive away from fossil fuels. Question number three, who has the most power over investment decisions? Oh my gosh. Okay, so this is the most universal thing about divestment, but investments are usually controlled by a board of trustees, usually just a bunch of old dudes with a lot of clout and a lot of power. <laughs> And they actually have like a management office that manages the actual money. So a lot of times past campaigns at your campus, hopefully there's been some in the past, they have that information on who exactly pulls the levers, who decides where the money is going. And if that doesn't exist, you can probably just reach out to anyone that you know that has information about the meetings that they've had in the past, the board meetings, the presidential meetings and the investment meetings. How do you actually go about answering these questions? And like Rishabh said, pro tip, talk to as many people as you can. Ask around. Research step number one, look at your treasurer's office page because it usually has like a yearly report with general summaries of the investments. After that, you got to ask around and do some detective work. The investment or treasurer's office is a good place to start, as is anyone in the board of trustees with which someone already knows. Public universities are a lot easier, though, to obtain information than private universities because their files have to be accessible to the public. Difficult to find some information sometimes. And in that case, you can look at the institution's 990 form from the IRS. You can look at GuideStar.com or the Securities and Exchange Commission website. All things that we will also link in the episode description. A lead organizer for the University of Michigan campaign, Luke Dillingham offers simple advice for any future organizers. Take the number representing the whole endowment, find the percentage in natural resources, around 90% of which equate fossil fuels in most funds. And then what you want is to go through the companies and find one or two investments that are just the worst. No random university person cares about what the endowment is invested in, and it's pretty difficult to get people to care about that. But it's a lot easier to say, this company is horrible and made all this money from a horrible industry. While it is important to find rough estimates about how much money is invested in fossil fuels, details in certain companies, the exposure to fossil fuels and mutual funds and other specifics are not usually needed in the beginning stages of campaigns. This is important. Don't spend all your energy focusing on those little financial details. 
they will get you sidetracked, they will waste your energy, and it'll take you too much time. Divestment organizing truly is about politics. Cynthia Kaufman, a faculty organizer from De Anza College, shares this wisdom. There's sort of like two buckets of the work, right? There's the sort of organizing bucket and then there's the finance bucket. I think you can dispense of the finance bucket pretty quickly in some cases. So the organizing bucket is really, it is about who controls what and kind of where is the money you want divested. This is not about the money, it's about the politics. Students spend a huge amount of time trying to learn how to read, you know, the the investment spreadsheets and all the little initials for the different companies. And they spend a huge amount of time in that when if you just say, we know you own fossil fuel stocks because you must, because you have a normal portfolio. And so now you commit to, to selling them and you make a public statement about that and we're done. You don't want to look ignorant. So, you know, you should do your homework. Ilana Cohen, an organizer from Harvard's divestment movement, shares similar advice. That has any money, that amount is lending social credit to the fossil fuel industry. And the point of divestment is not about dropping of shares. Really how we do that is through political and social stigmatization. Disclosure is an important step insofar as like, if you are actually divesting as an institution, it materially helps to know how much money you have in fossil fuels and where that money is. Now that you have the background knowledge to ground your divestment movement, you can move on to step two of our DIY episode. If you haven't done this already, you need a core team of people to help you. Like any organization, you can't succeed unless you have someone continuing the work, organizing the team, and keeping the campaign in communication with the change makers on campus. Yeah, so set out goals with your team, goals that take into account the political circumstances of your schools, but are also ambitious. Yeah, I'll just throw out an example. Say you're at a conservative school without many commitments to sustainability. They probably won't be receptive to divestment, but they could be pushed on investing in clean energy. Many times, teams usually take the beginning parts of their campaigns to set their values. So if you're at a conservative school, what values do you want to set? How do you want to change the campus knowing that there's a lot of constraints that you're under? Do you want to have escalative tactics or do you want to have more cordial conversations with administrators? These are just questions that you should be asking yourself. And another big thing that you need to consider with your team is managing burnout. Now, Rishabh, we're both college students. I bet you have experienced burnout before. How would you say it affects your your day to day and stuff that you want to get done? Burnout sucks, bro. Yeah. It makes me so sad. I know. Um, Uh I don't know. The biggest thing I have about burnout is like when you get so passionate about a topic, it's really important to put everything you have into it. But at the same time, there's a point where you're going to be like, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to take a break. And it's okay to take a break sometimes from your work. It's okay to take a week off or two weeks off or even three Mm -hmm. weeks off. Just as long as you have that energy within you ready to go, as soon as you return back to your work, you'll be fine. Yeah. Jamal Burns in our season three, episode six. Go listen to that one if you haven't. It's really awesome. He talked about, quote from Audre Lorde, rust being a form of resistance. You need rust in order to sustain your movement and overall get more progress done. So remember to take care of burnout. Rena Williams from the Better Future Project shares this advice on how to sustain a divestment campaign. 
The biggest mistake we've seen is so much or like all of the knowledge and labor sitting with like two people. Once those people graduate, that campaign's done. The best way to organize is to be building that base and making sure that everyone knows what's going on in the campaign and knows how to do it. Just like one-on-ones and making sure that you are actively bringing someone into the planning, just allowing people to build up their skills there. Like, oh, like, do you want to help us plan this? So it doesn't have to be super formal of like, here's all the notes we take. Here's the step-by-step. But of really just like relationship building and like investing time into each other, making sure that you're always bringing someone new in mentoring each other um, and just like working together, co-facilitating as much as you can, just so that knowledge is always being passed through on just the base level of like, how do I do this? Now, step three, here comes a, a tricky part. So you've done the research on your school. You have a dedicated group of people that are supporting this divestment movement. Now, the next step is talking to your university's administration or the people who have the most influence over divestment making decisions. Yes, I'm going to throw a word at you. And that word is power mapping. Power mapping is crucial. It's asking the questions like, who's an ally on campus that might be supportive of divestment? And what power do they have in the decision making process? Maybe it's a board member that you know you have a good relationship with. Also, on the other side, who opposes divestment and who should you avoid when you want to talk to people? Is there someone that's really not on the side of divestment and every time you'll talk to them, they'll just shut it down? Maybe you shouldn't try to gain their support really quickly and instead work on people that you know are more open to the idea. Questions like these are the fundamentals of power mapping, which pretty much maps out the power strategy and the people strategy of a campaign. So when you go into a meeting with administration, you should have goals for that meeting. So, Risha, what exactly makes a meeting productive? Okay, so you're thrown into these meetings, but you're obviously at a power disadvantage here. You as a student should put yourself in a position where you should try to understand the perspectives of these decision makers in power. Once you understand where they're coming from, where they stand the divestment and what the culture around sustainability is on campus, you can better figure out some tactics to pursue in negotiations. Go into conversations, not trying to escalate immediately, not saying you're wrong, but instead just focusing on understanding their points. And when they have problems with divestment, don't forget to clarify the point of divestment. As you learned in the past episodes, divestment is not this giant buzzword that a lot of people think it is, and you should be ready to clarify it. Also, when a lot of these administrators have criticisms of divestment, you should be able to respond to their arguments with counterarguments that convey divestment's true impact. Let's try this out. I'm going to be the university administration, okay? I'm going to be the president, okay? President, okay. I'm going to be the president. Okay. I'm President Price right now. And Rishab, you can be the awesome, amazing divestment organizer. Okay, so here we go. <clears throat> Young lad, you seem to have done your research, which I respect. However, isn't divestment risky? Won't we lose money? And we won't have the funds for our insane lawn care anymore. Well, administrator, I definitely see your point. Oh, actually, I should call you Mr. Price. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But the truth is, it's a common misconception that divestment from fossil fuels and reinvestment in clean energy and other things are, quote, risky. 
There's a lot of evidence from companies like BlackRock, Morningstar, Morgan Stanley that show that environmentally conscious investing is not only as financially stable as traditional forms of divestment, but they may actually offer lower risk in otherwise crazy markets. Okay, okay, I see. But if we really want to make an impact, why don't we focus on making our own campus more sustainable? Yeah, that'd be great. I, I really would hope that our <laughs> university can improve campus sustainability, and it's something that we definitely should consider. But isn't it kind of ironic to use irresponsibly invested money to fund these projects? If the administrators like you want to use oil and gas money that's contributing to climate change to install more LED lights on campus, there's some hypocrisy to that, wouldn't you say? Okay, yes, I cannot disagree with that, young lad. However, in the end, it's actually not up to me, the literal president of the university, because our money is managed by asset managers and consultants. Okay, this is important, guys. Yes. So President Price doesn't have the power over investment, like I said earlier. It's those investment committees. It's maybe the board of trustees. But they still have a lot of power that you can take advantage of. So when organizers are faced with this question or this response, it may be the right time to explore ways in which institutions could leverage their investment options in alternative ways. Sure, maybe you can't divest because of the fiduciary responsibility, but you do have input over how these investments can be made. So as a president, maybe you can propose looking at different modes of investment. Instead of just saying we should divest, maybe you can start a committee to look at alternative modes of divestment. Or maybe you could propose moving money to new fossil-free funds and starting small instead of divesting fully. These are just a few options that I would respond to if I'm faced with this president that's like, I don't have power. Because the truth is, if you're the president or if you're a decision maker, so what? You still have the power to change in specific ways. Golly gee, what a smart young lad. Oh, thank you. Wow, Risha. Okay. You've convinced me. Our university will divest from fossil fuels now. Just kidding. It's not going to happen this way. Well, yeah, it's probably not going to happen this oh, way. Come on. I know. But this would still be a successful meeting. And why is that? Look, you're not going to go into each meeting thinking, I'm going to convince them to divest. But if you go into different meetings and identify the points of leverage that portray divestment as beneficial to the university, if you make clear asks from administrators, say, I want a meeting next month, say, I understand your point, is there a common ground we can get to? Then you're already doing half the work. Your meeting is successful. Whether you want to meet with administrators in two weeks or request an analysis on the feasibility of divestment from the investment office, you should leave meetings knowing that you move the ball forward. Woohoo! So inspiring. Okay, now we're moving on to the last steps. Movement building and escalation. How did Harvard and Yale organizers get hundreds of people to storm the football field and national news coverage and force their university admin to acknowledge them? Building a movement. Okay, so you know how I said research was like the least fun part? Well, building a movement is so freaking fun. And it's stressful, but it's mostly fun because when you have a team of people Sure, you have your core team, but the real change comes from when you gather a bunch of students together, when you gather coalitions of different student groups, and you all work together to increase support, awareness, and publicity around divestment. The most successful divestment campaigns, think Harvard, think Yale, 
are often the most recognizable ones on campus. They're able to draw from widespread support for the cause. They have multiple groups and hubs of power that are helping them push this cause along. And they have increased pressure on administration to change because every time an administrator walks around, they're faced with this question, why aren't you divesting? One thing that would be really helpful for any organizer to do in this coalition building is to look for allies within or around the school to coordinate campaigns. Think power mapping. Alana Cohen from the Harvard Divestment Movement offers this advice for building a more cohesive team on campus. I think we can really appreciate that, like the different perspectives everyone in a broad coalition brings is like invaluable to ultimately at the end of the day, being a united front when it comes to the big picture. And that is really what we are, right? We always recognize that like we can support one another, faculty, alumni and students, and also the other groups who are in our coalition without necessarily like aligning on every tactic that we do. It's more important that we have a shared organizational mission and and vision that we're achieving together. The faculty are not going to storm a football field. I mean, it'd be cool if they did, but that's unlikely, you know? And it doesn't really make sense. Like that's not the type of thing that they're necessarily best at. They have a better in to the administration. They can do things like faculty votes that are pro-divestment that look really, really bad for the university. Like because their faculty are basically saying, we reject your stance and we think you need to act and we're embarrassed that you're not acting. So those sorts of things are different, right? But they're all equally powerful and it's important that they work together. Okay, so now let's get into some specific ways that students can build a movement. First, petitions and resolutions. Do those hold any significance? Yes, they do. I know we all don't like those Google Forms and all those surveys that a bunch of student groups send around, but petitions and resolutions are really important and they're a must-have because administrators care about your opinions. If you have like an official letter or a vote of support from a bunch of students, hundreds or thousands of students, that goes a long way. You can come to meetings being like, look, 2,000 students literally agree with us that we think divestment's an option that we agree with and that we should consider. If you have that to present, you obviously put yourself at a bigger PowerPoint because you're not just speaking for yourself. You're speaking for the students of the university. Petitions function both to increase support for divestment, but they also increase awareness on campus. Just walking around campus and bringing divestment flyers around and getting people to have conversations around divestment, that's half the battle. If you know that more people are being aware of divestment, then any support that you'll get in the future is bolstered by this whole awareness that the whole campus has now. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And in that same vein, Rallies and protests, like what the Harvard and Yale students did at their football game, how does that impact the movement? Okay, so this is the thing you see on the news, and it's called direct action. Direct action is pretty much when you want to piss off a bunch of people (laughs) by taking certain actions that are confrontational. Direct action is really useful because it demonstrates to the administration the seriousness of your campaign. Yeah, yeah, you want to have negotiations and You want to have a well-researched campaign, but at the same time, you want to put pressure on them. And direct action puts pressure because you're making their lives harder. The other really useful part about direct action is that it raises awareness for divestment and gets more of the student body involved. When you have a protest, when you have an event, 
look, you're going to have a crowd and more people are going to show up and more people are going to be aware of what divestment is. Finally, it incentivizes administration members to be more open to listening to the demands of your group so they want to avoid future confrontation. They'd rather just have meetings with you than have you raise hell on their campuses. Yeah, and then a bunch of people on Twitter are like getting so mad at them and like sending them hate comments. They don't want that. Karina Williams from the Better Future Project offers some advice on starting direct actions. Yeah, you would want to do like lower escalation first, which can just be like flyering. That can be chalking. Um, And then like you kind of move yourself up of, you know, maybe you start doing like class visits or you start like disrupting tours. Tours is definitely a lot more higher escalation. But then you'll see students who do like Valentine's Day cards to their admin and like telling them to divest. So there are just different levels to it. And you are you do want to be really, really strategic for what you're doing. You want to make sure that you are being really intentional with your escalation so that it makes sense to the outside view as well. Of like a, No, our campaign has been running for two years and we are not getting any answers. And admin has not been listening to us or working with us or be willing to budge in any way. So you made us do this. Like, this is why we are having to escalate to this level. Direct action, though, should be used deliberately and carefully. It's really powerful, but it also has the potential to alienate student campaigns from administrators. And maybe your campaign team will get disciplined and in trouble. And if that happens, conversations about divestment are closed off. So when you're planning escalation and direct action, you should make sure to start with low-level escalation strategies, say things that are slightly annoying, but they're fully in the bounds of what you're allowed to do as a student and build up over time if conversations don't progress. When you have these big protests like Harvard and Yale football game ones, be prepared that some people might get arrested. And that's something that you definitely won't want to have as a goal of your campaign. You want to get this done as smoothly as possible. You don't want to get a bunch of students hurt. So when you're using direct action, really only use hardcore tactics after a long period of time. In a way, true direct action is a last-ditch effort, and organizers want to avoid it at all costs. Does this count as a hardcore tactic? I sneak into the president's office, and I put a whoopee cushion on his chair, and then he sits on it, and it farts. But the fart that comes out says, divest from fossil fuels. I think he would like that. Really? Do you think that would convince him? I think that'd convince him. Okay, Like, his cool. body's speaking to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, you guys, you guys heard it here. This is the way that you should get your university to divest. Cynthia Kaufman from De Anza College offers some final advice on how you want to approach your college's divestment campaign. That's a mistake that organizers, especially student organizers, make all the time, is that they think that education, like getting everybody to know is what matters. And it's not, it's, it's, it's about, it's all about pressure, you know? And so the information is used in the publicity campaigns always, always, always are used in the interest of putting pressure on the right people. The final step of your divestment movement, win. 
Okay, I don't want to be a downer, but your win probably isn't going to be one huge grand statement from your university that says we have divested all of our direct and indirect investments from fossil fuels. Because the fossil fuel divestment movement is a long and hard battle, but you'll have a bunch of smaller wins along the way that can eventually lead to this big win. You have to keep going. Harvard's divestment movement went on for more than a decade before Harvard's administration announced that it would divest its direct investments from fossil fuels in 2021. So the Harvard-Yale football game action had a decade of planning behind it. And there's still work to be done. The Harvard Management Company, or the organization that manages Harvard's assets, doesn't have any direct investments in the fossil fuel industry and doesn't plan to have any in the future, which is a big win. But it's worth noting that Harvard Management Company has a bunch of external partnerships that manage most of its assets. So its indirect investments are still a question. There's still work to be done. Divestment is a long and challenging battle, but it's something that we as students and young people can make a huge change on. So it's worth it to engage in it. We hope this episode provided you a helpful introduction for how to get involved in the divestment movement on your college campus. And we hope you join us next time for our next episodes. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Operation Climate. To stay updated about future episodes, subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and review. That would help us so much. To stay updated with other Operation Climate initiatives, follow us on our socials. We are at Operation Climate on Instagram, at OpClimate on Twitter, and at Operation Climate on TikTok. For a full transcript of this episode with links that you can explore to learn more about what we covered today, head to our website at bit.ly slash Operation Climate Podcast. And we hope to see you next time. Bye.